This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to episode 93 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today we are finishing a five-episode series geared toward parents and anyone who has influence in the life of a child. We've talked about casting a vision in your family. We've talked about helping kids challenge cultural lies. We've talked about conversations to have to help your kids have a healthy view of sex and their bodies. We've talked about the importance of becoming familiar with pop culture to help our kids engage their world for Christ. And today, Lynn Cowell joins me to talk about being available for conversations and the impact that can have on your long-term relationships with your children, particularly your daughters. Before we begin, I want to thank one of this week's sponsors, Spiritual Seeds Planner. Now is the time to purchase a planner for 2021. Spiritual Seeds Planner is a planning tool designed to help Christians prioritize living a fruit-filled life guided by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual Seeds Planner uses a gardening theme concentrating on four garden plots, friends and family, self, community, and vocation work. Each month focuses on one fruit of the Spirit, detailing actions to plant, cultivate, and grow. Spiritual Seeds Planner helps you plan and track spiritual growth as well as keep up with your to-do list. It has this beautiful faux leather cover with a tree engraved on the outside, but it also has several other features that I appreciate. Some of those include easy-to-follow instructions, a vision board, monthly fruit focus and planning pages, monthly inspirational prayers, weekly planning, Fruit of the Spirit bookmark with definitions and scriptures. It also comes with two sheets of fun garden-themed stickers and one of my favorite things, a back pocket. Y'all, I love my planner to have a pocket for those little notes or extra things, receipts, just these little tiny things that I need to keep up with until I can enter them into my planner. And so friends, the planner is in stock now and ready to ship for Christmas so that you can start 2021 off the best possible way. You can shop now at spiritualseedsplanner.com. That's spiritualseedsplanner.com. At checkout, enter Spread the Seeds to receive a 10% discount. Without further ado, let's welcome Lynn Cowell to the show. Good morning, Lynn. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Yeah, will you take a moment? Go ahead, introduce yourself and your family and tell everybody a little bit about what you do. Um, So my name is Lynn Cowell. I am an author and speaker, and I'm part of the Proverbs 31 Ministries team. And um, my family and I live, well, most of us live in North Carolina. I have three kids, um, Greg and I do, and they are all grown adults. Zach is 29, Mariah is 26, and Maddie is 23. And so nowadays, um, 
you know, life with just the two of us looks a lot different than it has in the past, especially during COVID. While all these parents were complaining, you know, and I get that they, that it was uncomfortable, but um, about their kids coming home, I thought, yeah, but I can't see mine. Mm. Um, And so it's, it's, it's life is, is different um, now that they're all adults, but we really enjoy the time that we do get to be together. And when my kids were smaller, my girls were smaller, I started writing and speaking to young girls. And that has actually gone both ways. I started out speaking and writing for teens. Um, And then as they grew older, I started speaking to women. And then the last couple of years, I've added writing books for tween girls as well. Mm, I love that, as I have an eight-year-old daughter. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about just being at home during COVID because one of my very best friends, they are just now completely empty nesters and they just started doing this really fun like dating through the alphabet and you know that can i know it can seem so cheesy but um they had had some other friends who did it so you know like one week somebody will plan the a date and they just did all this stuff and i thought oh what a fun idea to just kind of get creative and get yourself a little bit out of the oh but when covid first hit you couldn't do anything Right, right. Well, one of the things that I've learned during COVID is I really like my husband. And, um, yes. and that's a really good thing. We, we enjoy each other's company. So it's been fun. Yeah, that's a gift for sure. Well, briefly share how you came to know Jesus. Um, so my mom um, came to know Christ when she was about 35 and I am number seven of eight kids. Um, wow. And so at that point, when she came to know Christ, I was in third grade. And so, um, she shared Jesus with me and, um, and I began learning more about him at that point, I think. Um, and, and my relationship with him grew all through middle school and high school. I was surrounded by amazing adults who poured into me and it made all the difference, Mm. but it was when I was 19 that I actually, um, had another woman share with me what it really meant to be loved by Jesus. And that, um, she immediately recognized that, um, my whole life was wrapped around performing and I didn't have to do that anymore, that he was wild and crazy and lavishly loved me exactly the way that I was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to do anything more to make him love me more. And there wasn't anything I could do to make him love me less. And it was at that point when I really understood what his love was that I began falling in love with him as well. Isn't it interesting how just along the way, God does place different people in our lives from family members to peers to mentors, whatever, and it just grows us, Mm -hmm. you know, in such a way. And I remember I used to feel so much more like, Oh, I wish I would have had all those people when I was younger, but now I can look back and be like, so many people played a different role Mm -hmm. in the way that not only I came to know Jesus, but in the maturing process. And that's still happening, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today and how you, you know, play that role in young teen tweens lives. And so take us back to when your daughters were young and tell us a little bit, what were their personalities like? Well, as I mentioned, I have three kids. My my oldest is actually a boy. Um, and our our oldest daughter is Mariah. She's our middle child. And she is sweet and very, very tender hearted. Um, and when my kids were little, I homeschooled. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and when Mariah was in third grade, um, all of our kids went to school. And at that point, when Mariah was eight, she was five foot six. Wow. So just let that settle in just a little bit. She was five foot six. So it hadn't really been um, a very big deal when we homeschooled. I mean, she, she was the same height as her brother, even though he was three years older than her, they, they interacted more like twins. Um, but when she went to school, she was taller than everyone, including her teacher. And, um, as you well know, that can be hard on a child. Um, anytime there's anything about them that's slightly different from other kids. And so, um, it was hard for Mariah to kind of find her place, find her way. Um, you know, people would assume that she was in sports and she didn't like sports and she wasn't great at sports, but she finally settled in and found her place in music. And that is where she began to really blossom and find her, her confidence. Our youngest child, his name is Madison, and she has been individualistic from the very start. If you know anything about Enneagrams, she's a four. And, um, (laughs) and so, um, from the very beginning, just like her mom, she was more comfortable outside and playing in the dirt and in a pair of um, jeans and a, and a baseball cap. Um, she wasn't really into girly things. And honestly, I'm not either. So that wasn't odd to me. But early on, Maddie um, began showing signs of anxiousness um, when she was really little. And that had a lot to do with her growing up years. And she has done a lot of really hard work. And today she is a very brave and strong woman. Hmm. Wow. Gosh, God does give us just some different kids, doesn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're so so individualistic. I know. And it's so interesting because you have to parent each one differently. You just do. And that can be so challenging. And so as we're talking more today about that mother-daughter relationship, what were some of the things early on that you as you're looking at your daughters, their different personalities, what they're experiencing, what were some of the things that you did intentionally when they were young to really start laying a foundation of a strong mother-daughter relationship? Well, you know, one of the things that Greg and I um, began to learn early, or uh, I wish we had begun to learn early, but actually learned later in our parenting years was mutual respect for our kids. You know, my mother in love used to tell me when they were small, kids are little people. And at the time I thought, well, yeah, they're little people, you know, they're a handful of little people. But as I matured, I began to understand that what she was saying was that Mm. children are little people. They're people with emotions, intellect, um, great thoughts, ideas, and even convictions. And all of the things that we have, they have only in Mm -hmm. small, immature form. And so my thinking as a young mom, and, and it was highly influenced by the things I read and the things I listened to, was that children were clay to be formed. But as I've grown older, I think that that children are born with personalities. Yeah. And bents and that as parents, our position is to partner with the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. see and realize their gifts and encourage them in the gifts and the talents that they have, just as we had said um, in their and in how individualistic they are, and to help them 
refine those things that need to be refined. You know, as parents, we don't just sit and clap for everything, right? We have the, the discipline piece that comes along. But even in that piece, there's a mutual respect that we treat our children the way that we want to be treated. We listen the way we want to be listened to. We hear and consider their thoughts and opinions just as I want to be heard and considered. And I'll just say that as a, a young mom, I did a lot more of a, I'm the mom and it's because I say so. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- you know, that, that understanding didn't come until later on in my, in our parenting. Mm. Yeah. And so as you begin to really see that maybe you needed to make some shifts in that, you know, the way that you're parenting and the way that you're building this relationship and you started taking some steps in that direction. Did you start seeing any changes in your relationship with your girls or benefits to those steps that you began taking to say, okay, I'm going to look at you as someone I partner with, yet I'm helping refine. Um, Was there something that you just saw that really changed their heart and their attitude towards you as you began viewing it more in that regard? Well, again, um, even when we have um, more open dialogue um, with our kids, you know, rather than than strictly being from an authoritative, you know, place of more of a, you know, even God says in his word, come, let us reason together. Well, if God is saying that to me, then then I can say that to my my children, we used to laugh that my son um, surely was going to grow up to be a lawyer because we do that at our house. <laughs> yeah, he had all that reasoning ability down, and wow, it really just wore me out. Um, but in in these conversations that we tried to create, you know, one of the things that we tried to build was an availability. Like you can't have the conversations if you're not available. And so um, my husband would make himself available by driving the kids to school. And that's his place where, you know, he tried to have some conversation that um, was a more one-on-one. And as, as kids get older, unfortunately for us parents, sometimes they start opening up late at night, you know, being yeah. available when they're or crawling in bed. And that might be the time that they, they want to talk. And then also making your home a, a safe place where no topic is off limits. I can, I can still see some of my, my kids' expressions when I would bring up a new word I heard and they were like, oh my gosh, where did you hear that mom? And I'm like, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what you're talking about. I want to talk about what that word in that song means. I want to talk about boys and sex and the things that you're feeling. And while, you know, now that they're adults, obviously I've learned that there were a lot of things that they didn't talk about. I think that creating that environment to where nothing is off limits, um, I think it can be very, very helpful. And also let me just add, so is counseling. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Well, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying because even in my kids' lives who are 10, 8, and 4, you know, I can see, particularly my oldest, because he's like your oldest son, just very much uh, a conversationalist. But I, and, and so he's bent that way, and my daughter's not as much. Like, she's much more secretive, private, um, things like that. But I can also see that as she watches her brother feel like this is a safe place where he can really say anything to us. 
and we'll talk about it, I can see her feeling like, okay, I can go to mom and mention these things. And I might not get the response I want, but it is still a safe place. She's not going to just shut me down. And that is so important. Yeah. And my middle child, which was also my oldest daughter, was the same way and still today is is pretty guarded emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I would discover that would help is long car rides. Yes. Um, you know, as a speaker, I would drive and, and I would try to always take one of my daughters with me. And right about the time we arrived, we might be four hours in, <laughs> she'd finally start talking. But, um, you know, when we're talking about having a safe place, some of our children, they, they need to really like be removed um, from noise and even from other children yes. if they're going to open up and talk. Yes, it's so true. We are getting ready to put out, I mean, you're going to be part of the series of just mainly geared towards parents, but primarily um, just geared towards anybody who is interacting with kids all the way from toddlers all the way up. And a couple of the topics are, you know, birds and bees, apologetics for kids, pop culture parenting. And one of the common threads is very much this, you have to to have the conversations with your kids, not forcing them into it, but like you said, being available and not, you know, just avoiding the hard topics, which yeah. right now for my friends are, you know, oh my gosh, I don't want to have the sex talk. I'm like, well, you don't want them to have the sex talk with anybody else. So right. <laughs> have the sex talk. <laughs> and it's not just one talk, just beginning. That's right. That's right. right. And so I want to dig into a little bit of this conversation back and forth with your kids while you travel to speak. Um, would they a lot of times because you were often speaking towards or to an audience of their peers? Is that correct? Um, in my early years, I did. In the later years, when my girls were in high school, I was speaking to women and they would come to women's events with me. And so during that time, would they afterwards just ask you questions or mom, I don't agree with that. Or would things like that come up where you would really have to wrestle through some of that stuff with them? No. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. lucky you. Um, I, I think one thing and is still this way today is our children know that my husband and I believe that, that God's word is God's word from Genesis to revelation. And Sometimes um, the interpreting of that word is, is hard. I mean, mm -hmm. Greg and I are not theologians, but we spend time in God's word every day. Yeah. Um, and so I guess when it comes to those kind of conversations, especially about, you know, cultural things, we may not get it right. You yeah. know, we, we are reading God's word and asking the Holy Spirit to show us what he says. And um, when we're doing our best to interpret his word uh, according to what it says. Um, but we also quickly admit to our kids that we might not get it all right. I mean, the church has gotten some things wrong pretty bad in our history. And all we can do is read God's word and ask his Holy Spirit to interpret what he means to it, to us. Um, and then and believe it and believe that he wrote it. He said it. He meant it and follow it. Mm, yeah. Are you living a story you don't like? I think it's safe to say we're all living with a difficult story these days. So I'd like to give a big thanks to our sponsor for today's show. Heather Dixon is an author, speaker, and Bible teacher. 
And as a survivor of an incurable genetic disorder, she is passionate about helping women find the courage to live by faith, especially when they don't like their story. Her new Bible study, Renewed, Finding Hope When You Don't Like Your Story, is for the woman who is not just walking through a season of hardship, but who has experienced a story that they did not choose and cannot change. In Renewed, a four-week study of the book of Ruth, women glean wisdom from Naomi's perspective, a woman who lived a story she didn't choose or like. With insight from her own journey of living with this story that is not easy, Heather teaches women to flourish, even as they live hard stories, by trusting in God and trading their heartache for hope. If you need a safe place to process your hard story while allowing God's Word to speak tangibly into it, check out the Renewed Study at therescuedletters.com backslash renewed. That's therescuedletters.com backslash renewed. Friends, your story isn't over. Even now, God is working to renew it. Well, I mean, one of the biggest fears that I face is definitely not having a healthy or a good relationship with my kids when they're adults. And so, and part of that comes from the fact that, you know, that's part of my experience. Mm -hmm. I don't have the healthiest relationship with my own mom. And so that that's a struggle, you know, and definitely the enemy is quick to play on anything from our past, anything that, you know, to really play that up in our worry and fear life. And so how would you encourage someone like me who has an eight-year-old daughter to, you know, develop that strong mother-daughter relationship in the early years? You know, Amber, I don't know your exact um, experience, but, you know, I know in the conversations I've had with some of my friends about our experiences growing up is that, often our parenting experiences didn't involve being approachable. Like things weren't, um, it, it, we couldn't have a conversation about something because uh, us and our parents saw things differently and that's just the way it was. You know, there, there wasn't this, um, this thing of being, well, well, let's talk about it. You know, we might not, we might not agree, but let's just have a conversation. And so I think that being approachable is a big key. Mm -hmm. Um, man, you're going to get me all welled up this morning because as, as our kids have become adults, being approachable has meant everything in maintaining a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we don't agree on everything. We absolutely don't agree, but we agree that we love God. We agree that we love each other. And mm -hmm. within that, then we, and the rest of it, we can agree to disagree and, and we can agree to talk about it. Um, you know, when my son was a teen in the heat of an argument, he said that he couldn't be perfect like dad and I were. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of shocked. I thought, well, what in the world do you mean? But what I, I realized was he wasn't being sassy or sarcastic. That was the way he saw it. Like he didn't see Greg and I wrestling with sin. And that's because our sin was internal. You know, mm -hmm. my sin was jealousy and comparison and things like that. And so from that time forward, I began sharing with my kids more of my struggles that were happening internally. And I would just tell them, you know, this happened today and it, and it made me feel this way. And so, you know, 
here, I know this is what God's word says. And so, you know, I repented or, or whatever took place is I began to dialogue with them about what was happening inside of me. Mm. And these are the same kind of dialogues that I'm having with them as adults, especially with so many things happening in our country right now, things that are very divisive within the church, but they can be divisive within our families. Mm. And so we just agree to just to have a conversation and be approachable. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And in a conversation I've had previously with Kristen Hatton, who she has the Redemptive Parenting Podcast. I mean, her kids said almost the exact same thing to her. I cannot be perfect like you. And she said, at that moment, I realized, wow, that's what they see. Mm -hmm. They don't see me and my struggle. And so it became a lot more about talking about it. And then also a lot more about apologizing when they were wrong or, I mean, just working through the gospel and heart issues out loud. Right. And sometimes we're not even as parents aware of the fact, because we know we're battling so much internally that it's hard to think that our kids can't see that. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. We think we wear it all, right? That's right. I mean, and... The good thing is, I guess for me, is that I really do because, I mean, outbursts of anger can be one of mine. And so I'm apologizing to my kids a lot in our homeschool life. But um, that's not always the case. So that's a really, really good perspective. Well, as we talk a little bit about the world and how today there is so many conflicting messages. And, and it's for boys, too. But we're focusing on young girls and women about, you know, what makes you a strong woman? You're only a strong woman if you're feminist and you stand for all of these things. And that's what makes you strong and courageous. You know, all the t-shirts of be loud, basically. But then, you know, you face those conflicting messages with your kids when they were young as well, and even now. Mm -hmm. And so how would you say that you really taught them to be kind and gentle? And you talk about this in maybe more than one of your books, but definitely in one. How did you teach them and encourage even any girl today to be kind and gentle yet be bold and courageous? Uh, so as I uh, was preparing for our time together today and I read your um, question, it took me back to my Bible reading that I read this morning. So um, I'm currently studying First John and John has so much to say about what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And it always goes back to love. So in 1 John 2, 9 through 11, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. And so I looked up that word hate because, you know, I think, well, I don't hate anybody. But that word in the actual Greek means to esteem less, to mm. think less of somebody. And I think of, of all of the people who may, maybe I disagree with a position they stand on this thing or the other thing and how that is a form of hate. And so when it comes to teaching our kids to be, to be kind and gentle, teaching them to always go back and ask the question, is that love? Is what I'm, I'm about to say love? Is what I'm about to do love? And if it's not, then it's not Jesus. Mm. And sometimes being loving takes a whole lot of boldness and courage. You know, I think um, when Mariah was in high school, 
she had a young man with a disability who loved to follow her around and tell her she was pretty and how much he liked her. And, and when you're trying to be a cool teenager, that can be hard. But I remember her coming home and telling me that she would invite him to sit with her at lunch and she would make time for him in the hall. And that made me so proud of her. So mm-hmm. proud of her because she was being kind and gentle and she was also being bold and courageous because with her actions, she was saying people matter, all people matter. And I just find it interesting that today, both of my daughters are social workers mm. and every day they have to be bold and courageous and they have to be kind and gentle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear you read from first john i'm actually studying just the book of john this year and i mean love can be one of those words though that our culture is really hijacked right like we have now taken love to mean almost that you do have to agree with everything or to be loving and disagree like those things can't coexist and Mm -hmm. and so I would say, you know, that that Jesus also is very clear that he didn't agree with everyone that he loved, and he did ruffle some feathers. And there is this tension between being kind and gentle and bold and courageous. But there is a way, because if we study the person of Christ, we see that he may not have always, people may not have always looked at him and said he was kind and gentle. But he was. And so we have to wrestle through what that really means. And the question comes back to a heart issue of, am I arguing for arguing's sake? Am I agreeing because I'm trying to, like, I don't want to disrupt the peace. Mm-hmm. You can speak however you would like to that. But it's interesting because in our culture, it has like, they've just told, we've totally taken love to just mean that everything, there's a blanket you put on top of everything and everything is acceptable. And um, I wouldn't say that's the way that Jesus lived. No. And, and like you, um, and I, I've been studying how Jesus did it. And the thing that I find fascinating is most of the time, pretty much all the time, the feathers he ruffled were the religious people. Yep. And so I would be one of those people. Yeah. I would be one of those people that Jesus would ruffle the feathers Yeah, because, yeah, you. Um, you know, he he ruffled the feathers of the self-righteous who thought that they had it all right. He ruffled the feathers of those who ignored the hurting and those who ignored the, and pushed away the disenfranchised people. That would be me. And um, that's kind of what I've been just uh, really looking at about, like you said, what does love mean? What does love look like? And, and the thing I'm learning is, is that love is hard. It is hard. Love is absolutely hard. Yeah. And it's not a one and done thing is I think another great thing for us when we think about love. It's really hard to love somebody when we're talking about you're only having one conversation with them and it's a debate, right? Like (laughs) versus being in an actual relationship with another human being. And that's when you see love play out because a lot of times when you've hurt someone deeply that you love, you don't just walk away and not care that you don't mend that relationship again. Yes. And um, one of the things I've been learning over the past couple of years is I started volunteering with women who are incarcerated or who have yes. just come out of incarceration. And the thing that the, the little statement that came to me and I keep telling myself is caring costs something. It's easy for me to hold somebody at arm's length and just go about my life. But loving 
it costs me something. It costs mm-hmm. me time. It costs me energy. It, it costs me going outside of what I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jesus has been challenging me yes. is, um, is to, to love me, not just with the words that you say, but love me with what you do. Mm. Yeah, that's a good word. So, so true. Well, we've talked a little bit about your books, but we've not mentioned any specifically. And so the newest one is co-authored devotional called Loved and Cherish. What do you hope that girls walk away with from that devotional? You know, Amber, if we go full circle, way back to the first question that you asked me about how I came to know Jesus, what I want an eight to 12 year old girl to know is what I didn't learn until much later. Mm. And that is that you are madly, wildly, lavishly loved by God. And nothing you can do can ever add to it. And nothing you can do can ever take away from it. You are loved, period. Yes, yes. It's not moral behavior. It's not works. It's just the love of God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, love it. Well, Lynn, where can people find you and connect with you if that is something that they would like to do? Well, my own personal website is lynncowell.com. And, um, you know, this topic we've talked about of, of love, I've written for every age group of woman. Um, and my newest book that I co-offered with professional counselor, Michelle Nieder, is um, our website there is lovedandcherished.me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending time with me today. I am so grateful that I get to connect with women, especially when there's somebody that's just a little bit ahead of me in that whole parenting gig. So thank you. As we close out another episode, I want to ask you to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening app so that each Tuesday when a new episode drops, you won't have to go searching for it, but instead it will be on your home screen of either Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or Amazon Music or wherever you enjoy listening. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.